Hello everyone, welcome to episode 33 of The Ordinary Photographer. so it might be September but uh, it doesn't really make a difference because pretty much all of August has felt like autumn um, anyway that's my moan of the weather a minute in uh, so what's this week this this week um, I did a zine exchange uh, number seven I think it was on talk photography this week um, I started it back in ooh, just before May, I think, uh, with a with a projected finish date of the end of August, and rather than <laughs> I was going to say rather than a mad scramble at the end, but it was a mad scramble at the end. I did kind of have a plan about what I wanted to do, but I, I guess this is a little bit about talking about projects and how to how to not do it. <laughs> um, so as if you're a regular listener, you might know I got made redundant uh, last year, September, 35 years, uh, and and I was made redundant via Zoom. Uh, and I'm not really as long as I guess as long as I don't mention the company, it doesn't matter. But I wasn't allowed to talk and say anything bad about it in the contract when they gave me the money. It was like you're not allowed to go and talk to anybody about this. Um, but I'm not mentioning the company, so could be about anybody, couldn't it? But. There's nobody listening to this. It gives a monkeys anyway. It was a, it it wasn't it wasn't a good job, and the people there weren't very nice. And there's a, there's a new series just been released of um, it's an Australian docu drama comedy thing called Utopia, and they've just done series five. And I remember the first time I watched that. I was I was rolling on the floor laughing because it was just like where I worked. It's not like the office. The office was like where you worked, but just a little bit more out there, a little bit more ridiculous. It just kind of wasn't quite real. But people identified with it and you laughed. Utopia is absolutely on the nose. And the latest series is all about the latest... Uh, <laughs> problems that companies have been having dealing with uh, things like diversity and stuff like that and and it it just had me laughing because i'm i'm just so glad to be out of it and i, I had a an interview a couple of months ago actually there was a job that came up that was perfectly suited to my skills and i applied for it uh, on a sunday night i think after a couple of glasses of wine and and they rang me up on Monday morning at 10 o'clock saying could I have a telephone interview uh, and I had a telephone interview and within about 15 minutes I realised it was exactly the same sort of place as the one I'd just left and it was so nice to be able to say do you know what no no I don't I don't want this and instead I, I uh 
I started working for a charity shop, as you're aware. And I, th I think I shared a little bit of this about this in the uh, self-doubt podcast I did a while ago. But the, the, I think my boss is great. And we were looking at some of the stuff that had been brought in by a customer. Um he brought some Amstrad games, Amstrad CPC, and I wasn't familiar with it. I was a ZX Spectrum person, but he had the Amstrad CPC, this guy, obviously, and he had a box, cardboard box, large cardboard box, full of games. And when I when I did a search on them on the internet, it, they, they just weren't doing very well, so I batched them up and uh, sold them on the, our charity shop's eBay site in, in batches. And <laughs> made about... 400 quid on them they weren't just bananas and it was it just struck me how well i used to go to charity shops i've been going to charity shops for years but everything in there has mostly been stuff that's like a generation too old for me whereas now it's my generation my stuff comic books, comics, 2000 AD comics, uh, hi-fi equipment, old uh, Marantz or uh, mission mission speakers. There were some mission floor-standing speakers in there the other week, and I, was, I think if we'd have had the space for it, I'd have taken them home. But no, nobody cares about that stuff anymore. But people, Well, I say nobody cares about that stuff anymore, but things like cassette players and CD players, amplifiers graphic equalizers, speakers, they're, they're all kind of, kind of people, people want to buy them. And so we can get money for them instead of them going in the skip. Unfortunately, VHS hasn't come back. It's a bit like APS film. Never, it was popular, but it still isn't. Uh, maybe that's the next, the next thing. Maybe VHS will be coming back. And maybe after that, it might even be Beatsmax for those that even know what I'm talking about. But um, either way, this, this stuff is stuff that's familiar to me and it's now coming into charity shops, presumably from people who have had it gathering dust somewhere in their house. Uh, in some case, we do do house clearances and, and in some cases people have passed away, which is even more frightening and reminds me once again about how old I am. But I started to realise that this shop I was working in was um, my ideal shop, I think, as a kid. Um, when, when did it, when was Empire Records released? Can't remember now. I'm going to have to check. So you're going to have to bear with me. Empire Records, 1995. Okay, so when I saw Empire Records, it had Liv Tyler and a very young uh, Rene Zellweger, a very young Rene Zellweger, and uh, Liv Tyler. And, and, and I watched it in 1995 and I thought, you know, this is the kind of record shop I want to own and want to run and I want to manage. And I just, yeah, that was what I wanted to do. And as time went on and records obviously fell out of fashion very quickly after 1995 and then they fell and then even CDs fell out of fashion. And the idea of the record shop was just something that was just like a camera shop, really pipe dream really working in the shop that i work in is kind of like working at empire records i get to play 
the music I want. Now I've learned how to use a till now, 50 years old, and I've learned how to use a till. And so I get to sit downstairs and put my music on and talk to the geeks and freaks that come in there. And it's great. And it's a little slice of humanity. And the things that people buy, the things that people are looking for, I mean, having people <laughs> ask me if, if I've got any Susie and the Banshees records and been able to say, no, we haven't. And knowing that we haven't got any Banshees records because they've <laughs> they've all been snaffled. But seeing that the person that's asking isn't a spotty 17-year-old with a black T-shirt, spiked hair and black lipstick and all the rest of it. It's a middle-aged, in this case it was a middle-aged lady that was looked very well to do. Asking for Banshee's records. Rock on. And those are the, they're my kind of people. My kind of people. And I wanted to document it. We're getting to photography now, 10 minutes in. I wanted to document it. Uh, and I think I spoke about self-doubt and the idea for a project I had. And I, Paul sent me an email, actually. Thank you, Paul. I know you're still listening to this. Uh, let's dig the email out. And it was a really sensible email that that said have you thought of approaching the management you might find that they're enthusiastic and see it as a way to recognize the volunteers giving you some official legitimacy and I thought you know what that is a bloody good idea so I emailed them and like any company they said oh that's a good idea we'll look into it never heard anything else and uh, I might push it but I thought you know what I want to do this scene for me, not f for somebody else now that I've tried to do it for somebody else and they've ignored me. I'll, I'll try and do it for me. And so I did. And so I, I decided to document this shop that I work in and the coolness of it and the little things that make me smile every time I go in there. And... It's a little bit of a kind of a, a tipped hat to Alistair, who's the boss there, and his attitude of how to run a shop. And if you've seen Empire Records, uh, Anthony Lapaulieu is uh, is is the kind of cool boss that you would want if you worked in a shop like that. And and I have a cool boss, just like that. I'm sure he'd be <laughs> frowning. <laughs> There's no way he'd ever listen to this, or he doesn't even know about it, so so that's good. But uh, the records, they're, they're not very well organised. Eric Clapton under E. Come on. Somebody <laughs> somebody like me, that's, that's a case of, uh, hang on a minute, something wrong here. And the CDs and, and tapes... And are, are, are terribly badly organised, and that's because we get so many of them. We get bucket loads of CDs, and they all get quite a serious going through before they go out in the shop to make sure that there's nothing good in there. <laughs> so anything good gets, a, gets a new price tag on it. And uh, I remember we even sold the Return of the Living Dead soundtrack, which has got a Cramps, um, a, a great Cramps signature tune on there this, this, that used to be impossible to get anywhere else and I sold for 11 quid I think on eBay whereas if you stick that in a charity shop CDs in a charity shop most people will just walk past them 
because there's 400 different versions of Kylie, various Kylie albums, and it's just all nasty, horrible rubbish. Trying to keep the language clean. But anyway, so the CDs aren't organised. And so <laughs> my, uh, my girlfriend many years ago, ex-girlfriend, I've been married for 15 years, so it was, it was before my wife. Um, she decided when I was away to reorganise all my CDs. My CDs used to be organised alphabetically. She decided to reorganise them based on the colour on the spine. And when I, when I came back, I think I was on a training course, I came back and I saw what she'd done. I was, I was not in a good place. Um, I, I had quite a lot of CDs. I had a lot of vinyl which I then sold and almost pretty much gave away when CDs came out to replace everything on CD. Um, and I pretty much gave away all my CDs. I think I sold them all on eBay for chump change, which I very much regret. But, um, but yeah, she organised all these CDs. I had a lot by colour. I was not impressed. Couldn't find anything. But because you can't find anything in the charity shop anyway, I thought I'd reorganise by colour and um, yeah we, we like to give our customers time to browse <laughs> a reason to browse nothing's very well organised I mean it's kind of haphazard if you understand either mine or Alistair's or anybody else who's stocking the shelves mental attitude on that particular day you've got half a chance of finding what you're looking for, but most of the time you really have to dig. And um, as I said to Alistair once, there's a, an album here that you've priced up at four quid, CD, and the, the same album in a different part of the shop is, is one quid. And he just looked at me and, and shrugged and he said, well, there you go. If people are prepared to dig, they're going to find a bargain. And that attitude, oh, I loved it. I love working at the shop and I just wanted to document it. And so I made a zine, little pieces of history, which has just gone off to make some uh, yesterday for printing. And it took me quite a long time to do it. And whilst I was putting the zine together, I was talking to somebody on Talk Photography who was talking about doing the zine exchange. They weren't quite sure, so I sent them my zines and they sent them me one that they'd done. And when they sent me the zine that they'd done, I discovered it had... That the, they put a little letter in with it saying that they'd attained the um, fellowship in the RPS, and that was like, oh, okay, that's that's pretty recognised. And when I looked through the scene, I was immediately struck by the the way it had been sequenced, by the way the images had been put out, or, you know, the the choice of the images that had gone in there on various pages. It was like, okay, someone spent some time on this. And so I wanted to do that as well. I wanted to to, to try and put something together that was just a little bit more <laughs> than my previous escapades, which had been go through Lightroom, get some images, open a document, add in a bunch of blank pages, and then just start dragging the images into the document one by one until it was done. And, and yes, there was some curation going on. I was looking at image, but I wasn't really thinking too hard about how to piece the images together. Actually, that's that's probably unfair. Actually, the Passengers Project had quite a bit of work trying to trying to meld everything together. 
but but this one I, I set out with the idea of doing it properly and as you can tell by me carefully using the words I set out to do it properly it ended up overwhelming me I think to be honest because because I wasn't quite sure what I was trying to say and that's the nub of this really I didn't realize what I was trying to say until I put all the images in put the text in put it together and it kind of grew from that and it wasn't until the end that I actually got to write the introduction um, and I think it's it's the notion of of the passage of time for me about how things in the charity shops when I was younger didn't mean anything to me but the things in the charity shop today do mean something to me and as we could put quite a lot of stuff on eBay because it's worth more it's, you know we simply got a bigger audience and we can make more money for the charity by putting it on eBay which I think is a real shame and so we're, we're going to try something over the next few weeks we're going to stick it in the shop for two weeks and at eBay prices and if it doesn't sell then we'll then we'll stick it in the uh, on the on the, on eBay. But it gives people a chance to go. Oh, do you know what that shop's got some good stuff, and I don't have to go through all the rigmarole of buying it and send feedback. And it's not what they said it was. I can actually look at it. So we're going to try that and see see if that works, because it's quite unusual for a for our kind of charity shop. Most charity shops these days, clothes, women's clothes, and and that's pretty much it. So books, yeah, some people buy some books, but not many. But the books that we have, <laughs> we've got a, a whole shelf of westerns that I used to read as a kid. Edge, Adam Steele, George Gilman westerns, who's a British guy that wrote these books about the American West. <laughs> God knows where he got his ideas from, probably watching John Wayne on on telly I don't know but he, he wrote a significant amount of books and I used to hoover them up because I'd go down to the library as a teenager because that was the cheapest way of of reading when I was when I was a kid was to go to the library get a load of books for free go home read them take them back and I worked my way through all of these westerns and you know I, th <laughs> I think the only way I could describe them is they're not really for modern audiences I think isn't that the phrase that they use? Not for modern audiences, but there was there was a certain amount of nostalgia reading it and just laughing and chuckling at the at the way we looked at things back in the olden days. And it was the the passage of time I think that struck me. That things like uh, Clockwork Orange. I don't know if any of you are big cinema goers, but Clockwork Orange was was banned in the UK when it was. When it was released and i think that was because somebody said that the film made them do something violent and uh stanley kubrick actually pulled it and it wasn't until stanley kubrick died in 93 i think it was that they finally unbanned it and gave it a theatrical release and dvd and, and vhs and things like that so it's quite um quite a little bit of a story around that and you know we've got a poster a clockwork orange poster in the shop and so many people comment on it, but it's not for sale. 
because this is the other thing as well. Alistair's got all this memorabilia kicking around. He can't put it up in his house at home, so he decorates the charity shop. There's a whole bunch of posters and things around the shop that are not for sale, but make the place look really, really cool. And people comment on it all the time. And uh, I said to him this morning, I said, oh, do you, know, do you know the amount of people that say this is the coolest shop they've ever been in? He said, yeah, and then they buy a book for £1.50. <laughs> and they do. <sighs> but I think he's doing something good for the collective psyche of, the, of these people, even if they don't spend a truckload of money in there. Although ultimately, whether the shop stays open or not will depend on the amount of money people spend. But... Um, but putting this in together was really difficult. I went around the shop with my camera and took pictures of things. You know, you know. Sometimes I think you talk about subconscious and and um, instinct and gut feel, and I think I wonder if those things are, are just shortcutting your brain that making logical decisions. Like the plumber will just start whipping pipes off and putting new ones on and. Uh, working in a way that that just seems like very haphazard to somebody that's that's not done it for a trade because when you're doing something you've never done before you have to work through it in a methodical process and you have to follow instructions and all the rest of it but once you've been doing it for a while you just shortcut all of that and as a photographer your 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 view of the world everybody's got that everybody's had that view since they were able to see or, or able to absorb information and so by the time you reach the age where you've got a camera and you're going out and taking pictures you've got a degree of experience and it's probably a lot of years even if you start taking photographs at a young age late teens something like that you've still got a good 10 years worth of looking at stuff that you remember and so the brain can start to shortcut these things and when you look at the the likes of um Vivian Mayer or Elliot Erwitt, who can walk around the streets and just intrinsically see something, camera up, take the picture, walk away. And for me, I would have to sit there and maybe find a find a poster that's got an amusing thing going on and then wait for somebody to walk in front of it so that I can then take the picture. That's how I would approach it. But somebody like Elliot Erwitt has that instinctive ability to see the post, to see the person, take the picture and carry on walking. And I, I don't know whether that improves. But anyway, I took the pictures. Oh, a bit of waffling going on. I took the pictures, I put them into the into Lightroom, did the editing, exported everything to a folder, 90, 90 100 pictures or something in there, and then opened up my A5 document and started dragging stuff in standard processes I've done before and then I started putting text in there now I quite like text as a way to explain what I'm doing <laughs> I think that's probably because a lot of the time whenever I try and do anything my wife just looks at me and raises an eyebrow in that kind of way that says D do you know what you're doing have you thought this through and so it's good to uh, I think for me anyway, to write the text down, it kind of explains to me what it is I'm trying to do. And I quickly realised as I was putting text in there that I wasn't making a lot of sense. And so I started editing and tweaking and moving pictures around and deleting pictures and adding new ones and then finding I had a few gaps 
because the picture I'd taken wasn't quite what I wanted, so I had to go back and take more pictures and cut. And it became in, it became more of a, a, a fluid piece of work. Previous scenes have been a case of shit. The deadline's coming. Uh, what pictures have I got? Right, let's use those. Whereas this was oh the deadline's coming. What pictures have I got? Let's use those. And then there was another step that said, hang on, some of those are a bit crap. Some of those don't work. Delete them. You kind of know what you're doing now. You've got a, you've got your pages laid out and you've got your pictures set up. You can go back and take the pictures you want. And so I did that. And that made it a better project, in my view. And so, oh, what are we doing for time? 25. Okay. So, yeah, I, I'm quite pleased with how it turned out. Which I'm, I'm not sure that I've thought before. Yeah, I, I am pleased with how it's turned out. Although it's still not as clear as I'd like it to be as to what I was trying to do. It's as, it's as good as I think I could manage today. Maybe next one I do will be a bit better. And, but, but for today, I, I think it's a pretty good kind of expression god is that the right word i don't know anyway so what's the takeaway from this really the takeaway from this is uh, if you do zines if you do projects if you, if you do anything that requires any kind of sequencing or you're trying to tell a story if you're trying to tell that story my first way of doing this was to take the pictures and then arrange them in a way that told a story. This second way of doing things has been to take the pictures, arrange them in a way that tells a story, and then go back at it with a more critical eye and say, do you know what? Actually, this doesn't work. I don't know if that's better or not, because when <laughs> when I get these things printed out, or when they finally arrive, if you're, if you're taking part in the zine exchange on Talk Photography, you'll get one for free. If not, they're going to go on sale for a fiver with all the money going, obviously, to the charity. But um, I am worried. <laughs> Both Alistair and the, the lady that, that manages the shop with, with him, they do part-time, wondered what the bloody hell I was doing lying on the floor taking pictures of of um, Kenny Rogers but what can I say I couldn't I couldn't really explain it so I intended to print obviously I'm getting loads, loads of copies done and I'll, I'll take them a copy each and I'm really interested to see what somebody who has no interest in photography will will see from this whether they'll look at it and go well that's a pile of shit or whether they'll go, do you know what, that's really, really cool. We'll stick that on the counter for a fiver and see if we can sell it to people that come in. I don't know if that'll work. But I think the important thing is, is it was never designed to be that. It was always designed to be for me. Because when I read back through it and I look at the images in there, it makes me chuckle, it makes me smile, and it gives me memories. And I think in 40 years... The contents of a charity shop, if charity shops still exist and shops still exist, will be completely different to how they are now, just like they were different 20 years ago. 
30 years ago. What would I have been in my 20s and 30s? Yeah, yeah, something like that. So the contents will change over time. And I think that's actually quite interesting because there's an awful lot of stuff that takes a lot longer to change. But this in particular, I don't think does. This is quite quick. So I'll leave it there. Was this pointless? Don't know. You're getting one a week, so don't complain. I will um, catch up with you <laughs> so in a week. That's a, that's a heavy promise, isn't it? We'll see if we can keep it. Have a good one. <laughs>